Today, we have a special guest with us, and if you don't know Bobby Bogart, let me just tell you just a little bit about him. Uh, he's been in ministry for 43 years. I, I, I'd say that's, uh, I think he knows what he's talking about when it comes to that. Uh, it was on staff at Gateway Church. How many of you guys are familiar with Gateway and Robert Morris? And was on staff for 12 years over there, I believe, and just in high capacity there, and served at Res Life, and just every capacity. And, and so, I just am so appreciative of Bobby in my life, just in the short time that I've got to know him because he's really like a father to, to, to people and really like a pastor to pastors and mentor to mentors. He's been a, a mentor to my mentors, and so uh, I'm so thankful to be able to have him in the house. To, last night was just an awesome night and just really a deposit in our church. And so would you guys give a big round of applause as Bobby comes in and uh, speaks the word this morning? Good morning. Hey, I know I'm preaching to the choir this morning because you braved the weather to get here. But this is just a normal Michigan winter day for us. I mean, come on, what's the big deal? So uh, it's, it is uh, a true honor to be here, and I don't say that lightly. As a matter of fact, I want to take a minute and put that in context. I think it was about a year and a half ago that... Um, we moved back to Michigan from Dallas and took our position with LINK. LINK stands for LINKED International Network of Churches. And uh, as a part of my responsibility, we come and connect with uh, our pastors throughout the organization. And, of course, Journey Church is a part of the LINK organization, the LINK family. And um, I met Sean about a year and a half ago. You guys were still just in two services we had lunch over here close by, and after lunch, I said, hey, come on, I want to go see your digs. I want to go see your house, and so we drove over here, and Sean gave me the nickel tour, and, and uh, as we walked through this building, I want to just tell you, my heart was captured. My heart was captured for this church, and from that moment, uh, I've been praying for you uh, in the sense that I know that God is doing something amazing in this house, in this church, in this community, as a result of Journey Church being here. And there's a future and a hope that you have, that you're about to possess your land. As a matter of fact, last night as we were in worship, I really felt like God just spoke to me. Uh, and I want to preface this because there always needs to be open disclosure when you share something like this. But Sean and I had coffee yesterday. We talked a little bit about your future. And then last night before service, I was talking with Aaron. and We were talking a little bit about your future. But besides those conversations in worship, normally in worship, I'm kind of going through my head about my sermon. And last night in worship, it just my heart was being captured by Israel possessing their land. Specifically, Joshua and Caleb, the Bible says that they were men of a different spirit. And I want to tell you something. There's a different spirit on this house. There's a different spirit. Not that you're any better or anything special. It's just that you're carrying a spirit that God wants to bless. And I believe God's going to open up the doors for you in this coming year to, to inherit your land. How many of you good for that? I mean, you are using this building as much as you can use this building. And so I've been praying that God would give you a new house. And uh, I know Sean's got some exciting things to share with you next week, so I won't spoil the fun there. But just suffice to say that God has a great future for you. And um, 
So let me, let me stop right there and pause for a minute and speak to you as a father in the faith. In order for you to go to the next level, you know, they say something like this, next level, new devil. Okay, how many of you know there are new opportunities and there are new challenges ahead for you as you progress? And what that means for you as a family is that each one of us are going to have to step up to the next level. So for you, maybe you've been coming, you've been enjoying the, the fruits of this house, and you've been attending the church. Well, it, your next step may be you need to step into volunteerism. You need to help serve others so that they can have their lives changed and transformed the way that you've had your life transformed. Maybe you've been serving and it's time for you to step up and that next level and, and take on leadership. And to step into some leadership responsibilities and take some oversight of some things. Maybe you're a leader and you've been serving faithfully. It's time to reproduce yourself. Every one of us have to go to the next level in order for us to fully engage and, and obtain the possession that God wants us to have. Amen? And so even in coffee yesterday, I was talking with Sean. I said, Sean... Hey, you know, in this next season, in this next journey, there's some things that are going to have to expand in your life. You're going to have to grow in some areas. Is it okay to talk to you like a dad this morning? Okay, so uh, I, I would say that to my son. Matter of fact, my son's on a significant journey right now, and, and I'm having conversations with him. And I'm saying, look, Reed, you've got to step in. You've got to be bold. You've got to be confident in what God has for you. And uh, I was thinking this morning in worship that... Um, you know, you've been sowing seed that you may not be aware of because as being a part of the Link family, one of the things that we do in our Link family is we help churches plant churches. Last year, we planted three churches. We planted a church in Allendale, Michigan. We planted a church in Monterey, Mexico. And then we helped plant a new church. In spite of everything that's going on in Venezuela, we helped plant a new church in Venezuela. Not only that, we were able to help sponsor 50 pastors so that they could full-time continue to be engaged in the ministry to, to help people in the chaos, in the crisis that they're in. And I was thinking this morning, you've sown some seed. And how many of you know when you sow seed in God's kingdom, you're going to reap a harvest? There's no place in Scripture where you can find where God asks us to give that he doesn't have a return in mind for us. And so I just want to encourage you, the seed that you've sown and the seed that you're sowing in this new venture, stand in the gap. God is going to bless that seed. You're going to inherit the land. Amen? And then I know I'm supposed to preach, but I've got one more thing i just got to share. I want Sean and Becca to stand. Because I really felt strong in my spirit about this this morning that you need to be encouraged. You just need a, a strong dose of encouragement. And so today I would say be strong and be courageous. Do not fear for the Lord is with you. Don't, don't anxiously look about you in any manner, shape, or form. God is going to be faithful to the dreams and the passions of your heart. So be strong and be very courageous. Amen. So I want the choir here. Because you are the committed, you're the committed crew. You're the core here. I want you to stand up. I want you to stretch your hands to your pastor and, and, and Becca. And, and let's just extend our courage, our hope, our strength 
to them. Can you do that with me this morning? So, Father, today I thank you for the faithfulness of this man and this woman. Lord, you said a faithful person who can find. And yet when you came to the Phillips household, you found them faithful. Lord, many of our lives have been uh, transformed and, and changed as a result of their faithfulness. But God, we pray for the fruit that remains. We pray for the souls that are still yet to be saved. We pray for the marriages that are yet to be healed. We pray for the drug addicts that are yet to find their freedom in Christ. We pray for the wayward sons and wayward daughters that they would find their way home. And Father, so we, we pray courage, strength, and life and peace into this leadership. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, give it up for your pastor. So last week, Pastor spoke to you. We're in this series called Reckless Love. Last week, he spoke to you about your experiences sometimes wanting to define who you are. Your experiences wanting to define who God is in your life. Your experiences wanting to define the possibilities that you carry in your life. So I was thinking about uh, this series, Reckless Love, and and I thought about when God wrecked my life. Not in a bad sense. How many of you know God wrecks our life in a good sense? And I was thinking about when God wrecked my own life. And so today, I want us to to step into the story of the beginning. Because I I always like to go back. There's a a biblical study uh, method called the law of first mention. And so I like to go back to where things are first mentioned. And we find the grace of God, and that's what I want to talk to you about today, is the grace of God. And um, I've got this little formula for you. We're going to put it up. Uh, It's this. Grace is greater than works, which equals unmerited favor. Now, I'm just saying that's that's worth tweeting right there, okay? Grace is greater than works, which equals unmerited favor. And so as we talk about the, the reckless love of God, we've got to go back and we've got to discover how did he respond when brokenness first entered into the world. And we find that in, in the Genesis story. You remember how God created Adam and Eve. And uh, he created them and then every day he would come out in the cool of the day and he would just hang out with Adam and Eve. And, now we don't know how much time lapsed from the time that he created them until we get to Genesis 3, all we we do know is that every day, ever how many days that was, God showed up and he just hung out with Adam and Eve. I mean, one day they probably had a beach day. Another day they probably had, hey, let's go pick some fruit day. I don't know. He just loved to come and hang out with Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve, every day when God showed up, they were excited they, they ran to meet him. And then we come to Genesis chapter 3. And a little serpent shows up. You ever had a little serpent show up and start whispering in your ear? Saying, are you sure that God can really be trusted? Are you really sure about God's word to your life? And, and he begins to bring this question. 
And as Adam and Eve entertained the question, we know the story, they ate the forbidden fruit, and the Bible says that they ran and they hid themselves. Isn't it amazing that our first response in our humanity, in our brokenness, the first thing that we want to do is we want to hide from God. We want to run from God. And yet that's diametrically opposed to this story that we're about to look into. They went and hid themselves, and the Bible says they made fig leaves and they covered their nakedness. And so here's God's response. God shows up as he did every day, and he shows up, and Adam and Eve are nowhere to be found. And, Adam, uh, and God says, hey, Adam, where are you? Now, how many of you know God's GPS was not broken? We know God's omniscience, right? He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He knew exactly where Adam and Eve were. But he understood one thing. In order for Adam and Eve to come out of where they were back into a relationship with him, the first thing that they had to do was to discover where they were, to understand their brokenness. I wonder this morning if God whispered in our hearts, Hey, Bobby, where are you? Sam, where are you? Jane, where are you? Sally, where are you? Where do we find ourselves today? Because that's the question. In our brokenness, God pursues us in our brokenness. It's amazing to me that God pursues us. He comes and he says, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, hey, man, I'm over here. I hid myself because I was ashamed and I was naked. And we sowed these fig leaves. But, hey, don't worry about it, God. I got the, I got the nakedness covered because I got my fig leaves on. How I many of you know sometimes that's the way that we, we, we approach God is that we think, hey, I can fix myself. I got this thing handled. This sin, this brokenness, it's not going to overcome my life. I got my fig leaves. I got to thinking about fig leaves one day. You know, they detach the fig leaves from the vine. And how many of you know you have to have the vine in order for the fig leaves to stay fresh and green, amen? So I got to thinking, one of these days, these green fig leaves are going to turn brown. And then one day, these brown fig leaves are going to begin to crinkle. And dissolve, am I right? And it's such a good picture of when we try to handle things ourselves. We think we've got it fixed, but time moves on, and inevitably our nakedness gets re-exposed. We, we are fooling ourselves when we think that we can have a fig leaf approach to our relationship with God. But God is so merciful. God so loves us. Grace is greater than works, which equals unmerited favor. I was thinking about the first time that I understood that. I was 17 years old. I was going into my junior year. My family had just moved to Desark, Arkansas. Now, my mom doesn't like to hear me say this. And mom, forgive me because I know you're going to watch this video. But we were raised outside of the church. So, I, I mean, the reality is we were raised heathen. Without a knowledge of God. 
I think I think I stepped church in two times before this event that I'm about to relate to you. One of those was in Hereford, Texas at the First Baptist Church at a Halloween event. And I'm going to tell you something. They scared the H out of me. I thought, I am never going back there again. And so I'm 17, find myself in this little town called Desark, Arkansas. My stepdad's twin brother is the pastor of a little church called Gospel Mission Church. And they have this this youth group that is just on fire for Jesus. Now, I wasn't really concerned about them being on fire for Jesus. I was just, and my attention was on the Bruce sisters because they were, they were pretty good-looking girls. And so they were going to go to Bay, Arkansas, and share their testimonies. I thought, hey, I'm jumping in. I got to get my groove on for the Bruce girls. And we start driving to Bay, Arkansas, and they're talking about giving their testimonies. I'm thinking, my gosh, I don't have a testimony. Pull the youth leader aside. I said, hey, does everybody got to share their testimony? He says, no, because he knew I was lost as a goose. But I sat there that Wednesday night, and I heard the testimony of these young people, and for the very first time, I heard the gospel. I was sitting on the front row about where Sean is, three feet from the altar. When they gave the altar call, man, everything in me wanted to go and give my life to Jesus. But there was this argument going on in my head. It was, a, it was a reflection of one experience that I had when I was 14 years old. I was four years prior to this event. I'm sitting in the park in Hereford, Texas with a friend of mine. We're smoking marijuana back before it was medicinal, back before it was legal. And we were sitting there smoking marijuana, and this guy comes by, and my friend says, there goes one of those Jesus freaks. And in my mind that night, there's this argument rolling in my head. If you take a step toward giving your life to Jesus, you're going to be one of those freaking Jesus freaks. I wonder what argument the enemy is making with our hearts today, even as we think about our brokenness. What is the argument that he wants to make to keep you away from giving your life to Jesus? It's the argument that, hey, you're not good enough. You've done too many things. You'll never correct your life. That was the argument in my head. Thank God a week later, I gave my life to Jesus, August 15, 1972, at the Gospel Mission Church. My life has never been changed. As I said last night, I was saved to the bone. That's an old Carmen song. Radically saved. Gave my life to Jesus. You know what the Scripture says? The Scripture says... When someone becomes a Christian, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, when someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person inside. He's not the same anymore. A new life has begun. That's what happened to me, August 15, 1972. The scripture goes on in verse 21. It says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we might be made right with God through Christ. God pursues us in our brokenness. Why? Because he wants us to help us discover the condition of our heart for one reason. And that reason is to understand that God not only pursues us, but God wants to restore us. God wants to bring us back to him. Amen? God wants to bring 
us back into that relationship where we have fellowship with God and there's no condemnation involved. There is no, there is no guilt or shame that enters into our relationship with him. I thought about Isaiah chapter 61. This is a, this is a long ses, uh, section of scripture here, but I, I, want you to, I want you to listen to the terminology because so many times when we're hiding from God, we're hiding in a sense of shame. We're hiding in a sense of condemnation. We're hiding with this mentality, kind of like Pastor shared last week, that our experiences is telling us something about God, that God's mad at us. That he's just ready to pounce on us. That he's ready to do a number on us. That he's going to reject us. That shame will always be a part of our life. But listen to Isaiah 61. This is a prophecy about Jesus. This is why Jesus came. Listen to it. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. I mean, if you know, the poor need some good news. So the poor is getting good news. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. So the brokenhearted are getting wounded and bandaged up to proclaim freedom for the captives. So the captives are getting free and release from darkness the prisoners. I mean, even though the prisoners are getting to see the light. But listen to this to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. So the mourn are being comforted. Those who are mourning are being comforted. And provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the Lord's Display of his splendor. Now, when you read that section, I call this section of scripture the great exchange. Listen to the exchange that's taking place here. Prisoners are finding light. Those who are oppressed are finding joy and freedom. That's the great exchange. What God does when he comes and he pursues us in our brokenness, it's for this purpose, so that there's a great exchange that takes place in our relationship with him. And what he does, he takes the sin out of us and he takes the righteousness out of him. We call that the doctrine of expiation. Then he takes your sin and he puts it on Jesus. We call that the doctrine of propitiation. Then he takes his righteousness, he puts it inside of you. We call that the doctrine of imputation. And as the old black preacher said, then he puts your hand in the father's hand. We call that the doctrine of reconciliation. The whole purpose and the whole response that God has toward us in our brokenness is to bring us to a place of awareness because until we're aware, we'll never seek freedom. How many of you know the enemy blinds our minds from the truth for the purpose of keeping us in slavery? So many of us walked in sin. I mean, I think about my life. I walked in sin for 17 years just thinking this is the norm of life. Because I was blinded from the truth. 
And God came and visited me that Wednesday evening for the very purpose of enlightening my eyes to the brokenness of my heart so that I could acknowledge it and step and make a decision to move toward freedom, to move toward peace, to move toward joy. Righteousness, peace, and joy, that's what the kingdom of God is. Amen? It's not agony, despair, and misery. It's righteousness, peace, and joy. And that's why God comes and pursues us in our brokenness is to bring that exchange into play where I unpack what I don't want and he gives me what I need. And then he takes what I don't want and he throws it in this sea called forgetfulness. He remembers my sins no more. As far as the east is from the west, God remembers my sins No more. I don't know about you, but that is worth shouting about. That place of freedom, that place of victory, where we step into that place of freedom. But most of us have the journey that Luke chapter 15 talks about. It's the journey of the prodigal son. You remember the story. The prodigal son comes to the father and says, Hey, man, I want to get my inheritance now. I think I can handle it. And so he gets his inheritance. How many of you know he goes, he spends all of his inheritance. He finds himself in a pig pen. One day, he comes to his senses. He thinks, you know what? The servants in my father's house have it better than what I have it right now. And so he makes this statement in Luke chapter 15, verse 18 and 19. It says, I will get up and go to my father and say, now listen. Listen to the terminology. Father, I have sinned against God and against you. This next phrase, I am no longer fit. When we carry our brokenness, that's the motto of our life. I am no longer fit. To be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired hands. Treat me as one of your workers. I can't be a son anymore, but I can be a slave. I can't be a son anymore, but I can can work to earn my wages. See, that's the mentality that we get into, that if I work hard enough, if I do enough, if I'm good enough, if I give my tithes, if I go and I'm religious enough, then all of these works will add up to a point of right standing with God. And it's a lie from the pit of hell. Uh, My question is this. When have you done enough good to earn favor with God? Where is that line? Where do you cross over into right standing with God? Grace is greater than works, and it equals unmerited favor in our life. I think about, as I start landing this plane here this morning, I think about the Galatians. Galatia was a a group of churches in a region. And Paul writes to the Galatians because he had been through Galatia, and he had preached the gospel And many people had responded to the gospel and gotten saved. And then right behind Paul's preaching, these guys called Judaizers. These were 
Jewish Christians who still wanted to embrace the law. They came behind Paul's preaching of grace and they began to preach to the Galatians a salvation by works. You still got to be circumcised. You still got to keep the law. And he, they were bringing the Galatian people back under the bondage of the law. And, and the book of Galatians is a, a book. Every chapter in the book of Galatians, Paul attacks these false teachers. It's probably the only book where you see him. I mean, he's going after the juggler because he is, he is mad. He is upset at what's happening among these churches. In Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21, I'm going to read some sections of this, but I want you to listen to it. Paul's talking to them, and he says this, because he's a Jew. He says, we Jews know that we have no advantage of birth over non-Jewish sinners. We know very well that we are not right with God by rule-keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? Because we tried it, and we had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. What actually took place is this. I tried keeping the rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. Is it not clear to you that to go back to the old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? If, living, if a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. Are you listening to that? Paul's saying, hey, I'm a Jew. I know all about the law. I lived under the law all my life. I tried to keep the law. And as a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that you can't keep the law. That the law was only given to reveal sin. That's what religious judgment does. It reveals sin. I want to reveal righteousness today. Amen? I want to reveal that that garden experience that Adam and Eve had in the beginning that was robbed because of their brokenness, but yet restored because God pursues us in our brokenness for one purpose, to restore us back to the original norm. I want to give you a section of scriptures here for just a minute. And I want you to listen to this. Galatians 2.16 that we just read says, For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Titus 3.5 says this, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Romans 4.5 says, but people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Philippians 3, 9. I no longer count on my own righteousness. I mean, if you know our own righteousness is as filthy rags. 
I don't count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ, for God makes a way, for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. My son makes this statement many times as he's preaching. I'm stealing it because it's just so good. You know, there's not enough good that we can do to get to him. But at the same time, there's not enough bad to keep him from getting to us. Today, as we hear a message like this, there's two things going on. There's two choices in the room. There are two decisions that can be made. One is to look at our brokenness. See the shame. Walk in the guilt. Try to do something about it. Or there's a decision that we can make. And that is to lean into the truth of God's word. Believe what he said. Take to heart what Jesus did for us. Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I didn't come to show you how rotten you are. I came so that the world through me might be saved. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You want to know who's out after your life, after your joy, after your peace, after your very own soul? It's the enemy, the thief that wants to kill, steal, and destroy your life. But Jesus said, I came. I came that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. That's the gospel. That's the good news to the poor. And so today, as we close our time together, I think of Isaiah. I want to ask our worship team to come. I think of Isaiah, the prophet, as he writes this passage here. It's kind of the God speaking prophetically, and I think even speaking into this moment and this time and this season of our life. Again, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but sometimes we just need to be reminded of some fundamental truths. Because sometimes that little serpent comes in and he tells us lies like just this one time. Nobody will know. You're not hurting anybody. It's okay. And when we step into that and we become broken in our souls and in our hearts, the only thing that we can carry is guilt and shame. We want to run and hide. Instead of stepping in in the morning and do our daily devotionals, We don't want to show up. But the good news is that Jesus Christ came, shed his blood for the remission of our sins. Amen? And so Isaiah says this. He says, come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, They shall be white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall be like wool. 
No, I put it in Bogard language. Is that okay? Let me put it in Bogard language. Hey, let's just hang out. Let's you and I hang out. We'll talk about it. I think I got a solution for you. I think it's going to be okay. Just come to me. Don't run. Don't hide. Don't try to cover yourself. Let's just hang out. I think we can get this thing solved. Amen? And so today, I want to ask that every head bowed, every eye closed. The reason I'm asking that is not for a religious activity here to close the service, but I want to ask you to, as you bow your head, as you close your eyes, I want you to look into your own heart today. The psalmist said this, Search me, O God, and try me, and see if there's any wicked way in me. Just search your own soul. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you about the condition of your heart, your soul? Not here to condemn, but here to just say, hey, let's maybe let the light shine in that area so freedom can come. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? I'm going to close this in prayer, and as I do, if you'd say, you know, Pastor Bobby, I'm going to, I'm going to raise my hand here, not because I'm guilty or ashamed, but I'm going to raise my hand because I just got some brokenness I've got to deal with today. Some things that are keeping me from a full, unhindered relationship with God. Maybe you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, and you're, by lifting your hand, you're going to say, hey, I'm going to believe the gospel today like you did August 15, 1972. I want to give my life to Jesus. So I'm going to ask you to raise your hand here in just a minute. And you, you shouldn't even be embarrassed. You shouldn't be ashamed. You should be proud to raise your hand to say, hey, man, I'm in an environment where Jesus Christ loves me. Grace is greater than works, and there's unmerited favor in the room. I'm going to step into it because I'm tired of carrying this baggage around any longer. Today is the day of salvation. Today's the day that I drive the stake in the ground and things are going to change in this area of my life. If that's you, either raising your hand to give your life to Christ for the very first time or just raising your hand because you know there's an area where you just need to get right with God and then just bring it to Him. Just lift your hand already. Yes, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, cross here. Cross every section. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Just keep them up if you will because I want to just see who we're praying with today. Amen. Anybody else? Don't be ashamed. Just lift it up. Okay, you can put them down. I'm going to ask everybody in the house to stand. We're a family. We're in this thing together, right? We've all either been where you, were, where you are today when you raise your hand or... We're probably on our way at some point. Come on. Am I right? There's just some times we just jack it up. I do myself. But thank God for his grace. Thank God for his grace this morning. And so let's pray this together as a family, will you? Say, Father, today I give my life fully to the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that he died for me, that he was buried, that he rose again 
so that I can have newness of life. Today, I make the great exchange. I give you all my junk. I give you all the crud of my life. And I thank you that you give me right standing with you. You give me forgiveness of sins. From this day forward and forevermore, I live my life for the glory of the King. In Jesus' name, amen.